Welcome to the Powerhouse Youth Podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today, and we hope that this builds you up and helps you live out your faith. Enjoy the message. week, uh, we actually started a new Christmas series in youth called The Gift Exchange. You know, we're, uh, we are in a culture that really tries to make Christmas, the holidays, all of these things about Santa Claus, about Christmas trees, about presents, right? It's, it's really easy to kind of get swept up in, in all of that. And don't get me wrong, uh, who in here you love getting presents? I love putting up Christmas trees, although we like just put ours up a day or two ago. We were a little late this year. I especially love uh, the Little Debbie Christmas tree cakes. Y'all, has anybody had one of those? It's got the perfect amount of crunchy glitter on top. Like, it's just right. If you haven't tried one, go to Walmart on the way home and grab a box. It'll change your life. Um, Actually, don't go. There'll be more left for me, okay? So uh, never mind. Just scratch that. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I kind of was thinking about it just before tonight, and it's really easy to get caught up in all the hustle and bustle of the holidays, right? Uh, you know, uh, even the last few weeks, you know, here, here at church, we are getting ready or been getting ready for the Christmas parties. We have a youth leader Christmas party tomorrow night. Uh, we've been getting ready to buy our, our family presents, my side of the family, uh, my wife Brittany's side of the family, all these things. It's easy to get so engulfed in those things that you kind of miss out on the main reason for the season, right? And so tonight, kind of my main hope, my main idea, uh, man, I really want you to leave just refocused, recentered on what this season is really about, and that's Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that's ever been given. Amen? Amen. And so uh, real fast, before we jump into our word, our main text, and all of that tonight, I do want to uh, just stop and say a prayer and ask the Lord just to come and speak to us. If you would bow your heads with me, Lord, we do come to you in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for the holiday season. We thank you for everything that it represents, everything that it means. And Lord, we worship you tonight because you chose to come for us. And so tonight, Lord, we just pray that you would center our hearts on you. Help us to draw closer to you, Lord, and that you would speak to each one of us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, last week, uh, we actually looked predominantly in Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up there uh, here in just a minute, but I want to kind of give you a breakdown of what we discussed a little bit last week so we're all on the same page. I know uh, a lot of the adults, obviously, you weren't in youth last week, uh, but we began at the beginning of Luke chapter 1 at looking at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Okay, a lot of us were familiar with this story, but Elizabeth had a problem. What was her problem? She was barren, right? She wanted to have a baby. She couldn't have a baby. And then there was another issue. At this point in their life, they actually, uh, the, the Scripture tells us they were getting old in age, okay? Uh, and so Scripture leads us to believe that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had been praying and believing God for a son, been praying and believing God for this issue in their life for years, Okay, and so what's really neat in Luke 1, we see Zechariah goes to the temple. He's going to make a sacrifice. He's going to go to a time of worship. And for some reason, in this moment in the temple, God deems this moment, this prayer, the time to give him the gift of an answered prayer. Okay, and I don't know why God chose this time. I don't know why God chose this moment. I don't know if God was just trying to wait. And once you pray a hundred times, I'm going to answer you. I don't know. Um, 
But I think it is so amazing to kind of think about this idea for a second. What if they would have stopped? What if Zechariah would, wouldn't have went to the temple that day? What if they would have given up? You know, they had every opportunity to make excuses, to be aggravated. Um, what if Zechariah would have had this mindset that he was going to be offended towards God and I'm never going to step foot in the temple again? Man, I wonder if they still would have received this miracle, this baby boy that God was going to give them that would become John the Baptist. And you know, the, the thing that we kind of talked about last week, I just believe that I mean, this, this truth you pull out of this, we have to learn to be faithful and consistent in the place of prayer. You know, it's really easy to start praying to believe for things, and then all of a sudden when they don't happen in our timing, when we want them in the moment that we think is best, to stop. Have you ever been there? I mean, there's been a lot of things that's been challenging in my life to continue to believe, to continue to press on. And this is what's so amazing in the life of Zachariah and Elizabeth. They continued to be faithful. He's old. He shouldn't even have a child, but I'm going to continue to trust God. And I felt like some people here tonight needed to be reminded that you need to be consistent in the place of prayer. No matter if you've seen God move, I'm telling you, he's moving. And I particularly wanted to encourage anyone who's been praying or believing for the lost. You know, all of us, we probably have family members, friends, uh, co-workers, and things we've been praying and believing for. What if the next time you prayed was the one moment that God finally deemed, I'm going to answer the prayer? We have to be consistent to keep going, to keep believing, to keep trusting God. And then even in the moment when there's not an answered prayer, we trust him that he knows better. Amen? And so we have to continue to be faithful in prayer. We have to continue to petition the king because you never know what moment he may choose to answer you. And so next, we kind of jump down. We looked at Mary's encounter in Luke chapter 1 with the angel Gabriel. Okay, one thing that stood out before you even think about this encounter with the angel and all of these circumstances, uh, there was one thing that defined Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary. You, you find it in both of the stories. It was that God deemed them all as righteous. Okay, so think about these huge gifts, these huge blessings that God was bringing into their life. He was answering their prayer, and I believe a big part of the reason why he was answering their prayer, why he was giving them a big gift, is because they stood for righteous, righteousness. Man, God blesses the righteous. Scripture actually tells us that he answers the prayers of the righteous. And so I think it's very significant to note this because we live in a culture uh, today that we flock to messages that are really centered around hyper grace. We, we flock to messages that uh, really try to help us justify living a life of disobedience. Have you recognized that about our culture? And, and what I want to tell you tonight is, is don't desire to justify disobedience, but realize that God still blesses those who pursue righteousness. If you want to be blessed by God, if you want to have his favor, then let's pursue God's righteousness. Let's pursue his, his standards, his commandments. Let's try to live a life that honors and exalts him. The grace and mercy and forgiveness of God is there for us when we make a mistake, not to abuse and so uh, I want to encourage you today. We are called to be righteous as he is righteous. We're called to be holy as he is holy, and that mercy is there for us to fall back on. Be someone that pursues righteousness. God entrusts his greatest treasures to those that are righteous. We see it right here in Luke chapter 1 in the life of Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary and Joseph. 
Man, and so this is really where we kind of left off uh, last week, and, and we're going to pick up right here, and I hope uh, that this really kind of speaks something to you, uh, because this is uh, something that's really been challenging me, okay? But I want you to think about the story of Mary, okay? Just empathize with me for a moment. Um, can you imagine what Mary is going through in Luke chapter 1, okay? If it isn't already, like, overwhelming enough to figure out that you're pregnant, I mean, I, I don't totally understand that, but I would imagine, ladies, right, it can be a little overwhelming at times. Um, Mary here, she's visited uh, by an angel, and she's told that she's going to be pregnant. Most scholars believe that she's 14 years old. Would you not be completely overwhelmed, worried? Man, I would be, uh, for lack of better words, freaking out a little bit, okay? Um, and to top it off, um, Mary, you're not just going to have a child. All the challenges that come with having a child, and I can barely take care of myself right now, you know, like I have to rely on Brittany. I can't even imagine having a child right now I'm responsible for. But, yeah, I, some of y'all agree. I see some of the young, young guys smiling at me like, yeah, I feel you, okay. Um, but on top of all of that, Mary, you're not just going to give uh, a birth to a normal child. You're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Okay, yeah, no pressure. How do you get qualified to do that job? Does that not blow your mind for a second just to think about? Mary and Joseph, um, and think about baby, uh, little baby Jesus. Maybe um, they're sitting there, they make a mistake, they do something maybe that most parents probably shouldn't do, you know, and baby Jesus is over there like, probably shaking his head at him. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. One day, maybe Mary and Joseph getting a little altercation, a little argument. You know, married people, I know that's not you, but just them for this this story. And, you know, uh, maybe Joseph gets aggravated. And he walks away for a minute, and little Jesus comes up to him, and is like, Dad, uh, you need to love mom like I love mom. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> okay, thanks. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Thanks for the help. Like, can you imagine, could you just imagine putting yourself in Mary's shoes for a second? Is that not a huge challenge trying to raise Jesus? It, it blows uh, my mind. And all of this, she's 14 years old. She, she has this encounter with an angel named Gabriel and receives this message uh, that she is about to give birth to the Savior of the world. That's got to be overwhelming. And I can't imagine it. But I want you to look at this. This is what really blows my mind. Look at Luke 1, uh, 34 through 38. This is her response to the angel. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's a valid question there. Verse 35, it says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will, uh, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. How powerful is that? If I were Mary, I don't think I would just be sitting there saying, Okay, Lord, uh, let, it, let it be done to me according to your word. I would probably be asking the angel about a thousand more questions. Anybody? Uh, I would be a little concerned. Wait, before you go, before you go, like, like, give me some more direction here. Like, I would be just, like, upset, okay? And, and I think it is so amazing to see uh, 
this confidence, this assurance, just in the, in the presence of God that she just says, let it be done. I'm your, I'm your servant. Man, I would have freaked out. And you know what I, I think is kind of so significant here and, and what this reveals, the call of God often uh, reveals the deepest doubt and insecurity. You know, uh, most of the time when we receive the call of God, when God tugs on our heart, when he asks us to do something, man, there's probably been times in your life where you really feel like God has been directing you or urging you to step out in your faith, to, uh, to start something new, to do something different. And, and oftentimes um, our first response is to begin to make excuses. Anybody you've ever been there? I, uh, I'm, a really good, uh, I'm really good at making excuses. Um, you can look actually above this when you go back and reference the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah actually uh, responds to the angel, and he has a little bit of doubt. He doesn't believe that they're going to have a baby. He says, I'm old. Like, are you sure this is going to happen? Because of his doubt, the angel actually tells him he's going to be mute until the baby is born. Think about having this encounter with an angel. You go home, you can't even talk about it. You're like trying to write it down to your wife to like tell her what happened. Like this is like pretty crazy stuff, okay? But but Zachariah here, he he responds. There's this call of God and he responds in doubt. Uh, oftentimes this call of God reveals our deepest uh, insecurity. I mean, you can think back to uh, the, the story of Moses. You can think back to the story of Abraham, to Gideon. God comes and calls them. God comes and tries to give them direction. And oftentimes, they begin by making excuses. Have you ever been there? God's called you to do something, and instead of stepping out, we make the excuse. Man, look at this. Uh, you can see this strongly in uh, the story of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, God speaks to Jeremiah. He calls him to be a prophet to all the nations. Okay, this is Jeremiah's response in uh, verse one or chapter one, verse six. He says, "Oh Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I'm only a youth." Okay, the first response, the first thing Jeremiah did was start making excuses. Lord, you call me? Oh Lord, I'm too young. No one's going to listen to me. I don't know what to say. I don't know. This, this sounds like really a lot of the the excuses that believers make not to evangelize to me. But I, I think it is, is so powerful here because these are the, the types of responses that are so common in lives of believers. We make excuses of why we can't, or we make excuses of why we feel unworthy, unqualified, not good enough, not talented enough. And we talk with students, we talk with people at the church all the time that feel ill-equipped to do what God has called them to do. And I'm telling you, a lot of these feelings keep people from ever walking in the full call and purpose of God. But I want you to look at this. I think there's a truth here that will kind of help us overcome this. If you look back at Jeremiah 1, just verses 4 and 5, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before And before uh, you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God spoke to Jeremiah to call him to be a prophet of the nations. And, and there's kind of great depth that I want to look at for just a second in verse 5 before we jump back to the uh, Christmas story. But this phrase, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. When you look at the word formed, when you actually go back to the Hebrew, it's rooted in a word, uh, yatzer. We're going to pretend like that's how you say that, okay? Um, but it says uh, it means meaning to form fashion, plan, predetermine, 
or preordained. And actually, this word is often used in the connotation of a potter forming and shaping a, a vessel out of clay. Okay, and so stop and think about this for just a second. Before Jeremiah even begins to make any of his excuses to God of why he can't accomplish what God is calling him to accomplish, God begins to address his doubts. Okay, so God was speaking to Jeremiah saying, before you were even born, I planned you for this. I purposed you for this. This is what I made you to do. And so, listen, God is saying, I'm the potter, Jeremiah, you're the clay, and I began shaping you and forming you into a vessel that is perfectly crafted to fulfill my will. And so, like a jar that uh, was made to hold water, God has made him to function and fulfill the specific purpose that he has for him. And, you know, I, I go back to this question, even with Mary, how does one become qualified to be the mother of the Savior of the world? Well, Mary was qualified because God had, in his wisdom, in his foreknowledge, he had shaped her, he had made her, he had formed her for this specific purpose. And for some of us in this room, I want you to hold on to this truth for your own life. Some of us, we've been walking in doubt. We've been trying to disregard the things that God has called us to do because you feel ill-equipped or unqualified. And God is saying, this is what I formed you to do. This is what I made you to do. Before you even were in your mother's womb, I shaped you. I made you with this in mind that you would be a vessel to build my kingdom. So many believers walk around in doubt, feeling unworthy, feeling uh, shameful or guilty or whatever, and God is saying, hey, no, 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 this is what I made you to do. This is what I purposed you for. And every person in this room, I'll just give you a hint, if you don't know what your purpose is, it's to reach the lost and to make disciples. You know, maybe uh, your, your specific function and role in doing that is different or more specific, but that is the primary purpose that God had in mind when he created every one of us. And so hold on to that. What are you called to do? What do I need to take a step of faith to begin to do? Reach the lost and make disciples. Don't doubt. Don't, don't make excuses. Overcome your excuse. Overcome your insecurity by knowing this is what God has formed me for. You know, I'll be honest for just a second before we even move on. Uh, you know, there are a lot of challenges and things in ministry. There are a lot of times when, you know, you can get up and you can preach your heart out at youth and, and some of these guys will be taking naps or, uh, you know, whatever, checking their phone. And then you kind of get off and you can feel a little discouraged. And sometimes I have to kind of uh, encourage myself and say, you know what, God, this is, this is what you've called me for. This is what you made me for. Lord, would you help me? Would you equip me? Would you, would you help me be more effective? And I'm telling you, every person in here, you need to hold on to that truth that this is what God has made you for. This is what he's equipped you for. Amen? And, and so how in the world can Mary be equipped and qualified to raise the Savior of the world? It's because that is exactly what God had shaped her to do. And I think that's such a, uh, such a, a powerful, powerful idea. But, but look now at the beginning of Luke chapter 2, if you're following along, look at these first few verses. It says, uh, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem 
because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. That was possibly the longest sentence I've ever read. Okay, there was a lot of commas in there. What I want you to see, every time I began to read through this story, it's so amazing how God perfectly orchestrated all of these things. Man, even though you couldn't see it, even though they probably didn't even know that God was moving and, and shifting things and making sure everything was just right, God was, God was shaping these things. Man, he used Caesar Augustus to call or order a census, and because of that, Joseph would have to return to Bethlehem. Mary wouldn't even have to go to Bethlehem. She just had to go because Joseph had to go. And so while they were there, the Savior of the world was born in the town in which he was prophesied to be born. Do you think that was happenstance? No, God was orchestrating all of these things, even though you couldn't sell, even though those people probably didn't know. And I want you to hold on to that truth as well. Sometimes, just like the, the song we sing on the weekends, even when we don't see it, he's moving, he's working. And we've got to hold on that God is orchestrating these things. But look at verses 6 and 7. It says, and while they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. You know, uh, it was about a, a couple of years ago, we had the opportunity to, to actually go uh, to a really awesome trip in Israel, to go on a tour. Uh, one of the stops that we had, I think we have a couple of pictures, uh, but one of the stops we made was actually in the city and town of Bethlehem. Okay, uh, really a common kind of misconception, Christmas misconception or tradition, a lot of people believe that Jesus was born in a stable. Uh, that's more than likely false, uh, more than or most likely false. Uh, what actually occurred, most believe, is that Jesus was born in a little shepherd's cave right outside the city of Bethlehem. This is not the cave that Jesus was believed to be, and this is a, a cave that we stopped at just uh, to kind of look back on. There's another picture, I believe, of Brittany and I, um, if y'all can go to that one. This uh, is at the bottom. Yeah, how cute is she? Yeah. <laughs> this is at the bottom of a church in the city of Bethlehem. This is the supposed spot that Jesus was born, uh, which is so powerful. We got to go visit. They built a church over the shepherd's cave that they believe Jesus was born in. Uh, and so this, they kind of built it here to preserve that. And I believe I've got one more picture in there as well. Uh, I, I had to give a shout-out to my father-in-law. He told me I didn't give him enough shout-outs. So, uh Brother Larry, there you go. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Shepherd, Shepherd Larry. Um, but, I, you know, it kind of blows my mind just a little bit thinking about this story, all the things that are going on here. Um, out of every possible circumstance, out of every situation or location that God could have chosen, all the things that he could have orchestrated, man, God could have orchestrated that Jesus would have been born in the most ornate, beautiful city, palace with famous people, kings, princes, all these things around. But instead, the Savior of the world came in a little dinky shepherd's cave, a hole in the ground. You think of the magnitude, the humility in that statement. And then after he was born, he was placed in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. And in Hebrews 2.9, it says, But we see him, speaking of Christ, for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. 
man, Christ humbly subjected himself to the will and the, uh, of the Father. He, he humbly subjected himself of the will of the Father for our good. Out of everything he could have come, he could have demanded people to come, kings, princes, all these things to come, to be there. He could have demanded the, the most beautiful place, but he said, all I'm concerned with is coming to rescue my people. That's all I'm concerned with. I mean, I think that's such a, a powerful statement. I also think it's uh, really neat because it shows that God is more concerned with substance rather than appearance. We live in a culture that's all about appearance. And especially with young people, we get on Instagram, we get on Snapchat. Some of uh, you adults, you have no idea what we're even talking about right now. You just think that something on a cellular device uh, must be on the line. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, what is really funny, if you don't know, man, things have gotten so technologically advanced you can get on, you can take a picture, you can edit, you can reshape your waistline, you can thin yourself out, you can do all these things to really, you don't even look like the same person anymore. And so a lot of young people are growing up in a culture where they put out this false appearance and all they're concerned with is this appearance rather than the substance of their life. And so if we're not careful, these things can carry over into our spiritual life where we get really good at putting up an appearance rather than having a real relationship with Christ. And so we have to be careful of this because our God, I'm telling you, you see right here in this Christmas story, our God is much more concerned with substance than appearance. Man, and so the Most High came not in arrogance or pomp, but in humility seeking to redeem mankind. And go on to verse 8 through 14. It says, in the same region there were shepherds out on the field keeping watch over their flock, by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Yeah, I probably would be terrified. And it says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, this is so powerful to me, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I know that was a big chunk of scripture there, but think about this. There's a small, bang, small baby laying in a manger in a feeding trough, and all of a sudden, all of heaven begins to worship. That's a powerful picture. Man, right after, this pit, or right after this passage, the shepherds actually come to honor Jesus. In Luke 2, 20, it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. In Matthew 2, uh, after this, the, the wise men came to visit. This is actually believed to be after Jesus is a little older, possibly a toddler. But in Matthew 2, 11, it says this, The wise men going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so there's a little baby lying in a manger, and multitudes of angels begin to cry out, glory to God in the highest. Then the shepherds come, and they begin to worship and praise God. Then the wise men come, they begin to praise, to worship, and honor God, singing praises to a little baby. 
there was no one in the presence of an infant Savior that could contain their praise. Think about that statement for just a second. There was no one in the presence of the infant Savior that could contain their praise. I mean, they worshiped him for two things, because they understood who he was and what he has come to do. Before Jesus ever went to the cross, before he ever did a miracle, before he ever opened blind eyes, men, they came to worship. They came to give honor. They came to praise him, to exalt him. That's such a, a powerful picture. And I want to warn us tonight, you know, sometimes in the church world, it's, it's so easy to get engulfed in the routine that we forget that we're standing in the presence of God. You know, even tonight, it, it, it kind of hurts my heart sometimes. You know, you can come into church, and sometimes you can really be feeling it and pressing in and engaged, and sometimes maybe not as much, but every time we come in, God deserves our best. Every time we are here, he deserves to be worshiped. Every time we're here, he, he deserves to be praised. And, and uh, you know, I think it is so neat. The wise men come. They begin to, uh, to bow down to worship him, and then what do they do? They offer him gifts. And, you know, I, I've tried to make up my mind that in my life, every time when I come before God, every time when I come to worship, every time we come into the house of the Lord, I, I want to, to bring him something. Man, when we worship, I'm going to give him my very best. When we praise, I'm going to exalt him because he's changed my life. Even when we give, I'm going to sow financially because, Lord, this is all I've got. You deserve it. You're worthy. Man, the wise men came, they began to worship and give these elaborate gifts. And, and I'm sorry, but sometimes I, I feel like we can come into church with this mindset that it's all about us receiving something, when in reality it should be all about just praising him for what he's already done. Let's be a church, let's be a people that every time we come in, Every time we worship, every time we pray, every time we come into church, that we give him something of value. We give him our very best worship. And I'm going to honor him with all of my heart. And I want our church to be just like these people we're reading in the story. We're, we're people who cannot contain our praise because he's changed our life in such a great way. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, I actually borrowed this idea from uh, Brother Larry. I told him I would give him proper accreditation. We were talking at a lunch yesterday at McAllister's, and we were talking through the uh, Christmas story. And, you know, all of us, we've probably heard of a, a popular, famous Christmas book, A Night Before Christmas. Um, I remember in grade school, our teachers would read that right before we got out for school, and I'd be so excited and, and all this. I remember going through it, and... Um, but, you know, we were talking about this, that there really is or there really was a night before Christmas. There was a night in heaven before Christ came to earth. One, I think it's neat to think about. Two, don't you want to know, like, what it was like, what it was about, what was being said, like, what was, what was happening? And we actually get to see a, a sneak peek of this in Hebrews 10. Uh, it's, it's a really uh, powerful picture. I want you to, to think of these few verses here. This is uh, Christ uh, coming before God, uh, maybe on the night before Christmas. We don't know. Look at this. It says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure 
And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And then he says, When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings or burnt offerings and sin offerings. It says, These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus came before God the Father, possibly on the night before Christmas, and says, Lord, I've, I've come to do your will. He knew what he was coming to do. He humbly subjected himself that verse we read in Hebrews 2, 9, that he made himself lower than the angels to come and to redeem, to save, to rescue us. He loved us that much. You know, as our worship team is getting ready to come uh, back on stage, you know, this is probably the, the most significant idea that I, I could think of as we were preparing uh, for just the series and all that, the reason we chose the name of uh, the gift exchange. You know, I think most of us in this room, we recognize that in Christ, it's the, the greatest gift ever given to mankind. But one thing that I felt like God laid on my heart is that Christ is not just a gift, but he's part of an exchange. And for a second, I want you to humor me. Who in here, you've been a part of a gift exchange? Everyone? Um, if, if you haven't, you're probably getting ready to be a part of about 40 of them here in the next few weeks. Um, have you ever been a part of an unfair gift exchange? A lot, a lot of them. Um, you know, maybe you spent $50 and you were expecting something nice back and you just got, I mean, yeah, lint, coal. Um, there was one particular time to trace a rat, chase a rabbit for a second, my, uh, my dad and them were getting ready for Christmas. I'm not going to tell you who the present was for, but they had a gift exchange in one uh, for a person in my distant family. They bought her something so nice and beautiful and ornate. They spent, uh, say, $50 on it. He was expecting something back. Uh, he opens his present, and he received an ashtray. My dad does not smoke, <laughs> and he's sitting here holding this ashtray, and he goes, thanks. <laughs> And I remember for years my dad keeping this ashtray because he was waiting to get her for the drawing at Christmas, and he was going to give it back. <laughs> he didn't get her to thank the Lord. That probably would have caused a riot in my family. Um, but for a second, you know, when I think about Christmas, when I think about the story, when I think about Christ being the greatest gift ever, I can't help but to think about this is just such an unfair gift exchange. Christ came to the earth to rescue us, to redeem us, to forgive us, to restore us. And he says, I want your trash. I want your sin. I want your mistakes, your shame, your guilt, your struggles, your, your problems, your issues. He said, I'll exchange all of those things for my righteousness, my holiness. I'll exchange your depression for my joy. And I think it's so powerful. This Christmas season is about the greatest gift exchange to have ever happened. And it's the most unfair gift exchange to have ever happened. And the great thing 
is that at the end of it, Jesus isn't bitter. He doesn't leave holding on to that ashtray, waiting to give it back to you. He says, now that I've got your heart, I'm happy. Now that I have you, I'm pleased. And listen to me, this year, this holiday season, don't get swept away in the hustle and bustle of the holidays. Don't get swept away in gifts. Don't get swept away in decorations and the holiday spirit. Get swept away in his love for us, that he came to the earth to die for us yet while we were still sinners. And tonight, there might be some young people, there might be some adults that Jesus wants to have an exchange. Maybe you've been carrying some weight, you've been carrying some sin, you've been carrying an issue, you've been carrying some of these things, these insecurities. Jesus says, I'll take your insecurity and I'll give you my purpose. And some of these things tonight, if you've been carrying them, Jesus says tonight we can have an exchange. I'll give you something better. I'll make you whole. I'll, I'll forgive you. I'll make you clean. But I want to tell you, just like a gift, and we have to be willing to accept it. We have to be willing to accept Christ, to lay down our issues, to, to repent of our sins. And tonight, I don't know where you are. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know if there's something that you've been holding on to. I, I know for most of us, we have something. But God says, I want to exchange. I want to bring freedom. And if you haven't trusted God, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior tonight, you can do that. You can receive the greatest gift ever given because that's what this holiday season is all about.